0: excuse me what a way to start the broadcast all right good morning good morning everybody how's it going i'm brother matthew and this is christian coffee time we sit down together to study the word of god (coughs) excuse me if i can clear my throat all right now you know it's (laughs) live all right good morning good morning how's it going all right so we're working our way through the gospel of luke and where is bible verse here we are luke chapter 20 verse 1. all right so we are up to luke chapter 20. we're going to try to finish up the gospel of luke this week so we're going to be doing a chapter a day till we finish this up we just got a few more chapters to go i want to try to wrap this up before the holidays so, I'm pretty sure that you don't mind. So, please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens and uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. And we're up to verse 1 there. So, get your bookmarks, get your notebooks, get your pens, your pencils, and uh, grab your tea, grab your coffee. Very important to you need to be alert while we're studying the Word of God. All right, so. In finishing up chapter 19, we see a great and powerful uh, point that is made in the study of Zacchaeus, how the Lord sees us, and how the Lord sees, he knows, he draws, he calls, and how, uh, how he goes to such lengths to, to draw us, to call us, as God is not willing that any should perish. And we see the purpose and the reason uh, as jesus told pilate for this purpose am i come and we see by the prophecies uh, uh, especially by isaiah 53 which we went through that uh, it explains the purpose the very purpose and why he came and we correlate isaiah 53 with philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8 which we'll be taking a look a bit later on now the purpose and the reason why he came was to save his people from their sins So we see that all have sinned, all are fallen away, all are become corrupt. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And that all have sinned, uh, all have broken the law of God, all are guilty, and nobody has any goodness or righteousness of their own. So the Lord comes down and makes the way himself, as he gives himself as a sacrifice for sin, as he is the only one who can do that. He's the only one who has power over life and death. He's the only one who is sinless, holy enough, perfect enough to be able to save us. So, we see Jesus uh, teaching and uh, instructing and helping people to see and understand this. This continues on into chapter 20, after the instruction with Zacchaeus and the others. Now, we see him purging out the temple at the end of chapter 19, saying in verse 46 it is written my house is the house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. And with that we can bring in an application. How there are so many who corrupt the teaching of God, who corrupt the the gospel of Jesus Christ and they make it a den of thieves. They make they make the gospel, they make the whole message and the purpose of the word of God to be about materialism. They make it about traditions and and personal physical mysticisms and everything else and how that needs to be purged out those tables need to be flipped over their their uh, buckets dumped out they need to be driven out Uh, only the gospel of jesus christ of salvation from sin is to remain we see jesus drives it all out and he stays there and he teaches and instructs the people So this is why it's so important that we need to call out heresy, call out uh, false gospels, false doctrines, and we need to instruct the truth. And we need to drive out the thieves, we need to drive out the liars and the wolves and the rats and the goats. So, with this, we see a continuation in chapter 20. That after he purges out the temple and he uh, starts teaching the people the truth, And we see that some time has passed here, chapter 20, verse 1. And it came to pass, that after his purging of the temple, some time went by. And it came to pass, while he's doing this, that on one of those days, he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. So you see, Jesus doesn't get distracted. He stays the course. He knows what needs to be done, what needs to be said. And just as the same thing with the disciples, when Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, what did they do? They went into all the world and preached the gospel. And it's all about that. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. We bring everything back to Jesus Christ it's not about us or how we feel or what we think it's not about traditions it's not about rituals it's not about anything else it's not about what makes the world feel good society feels good it's not about what makes me feel good it's not about that and so we see for example that during this time at these holidays of this month that we see so many people get conflicted about the whole christmas thing whether or not you celebrate it is up to you but the point is celebration of jesus christ it's never wrong to celebrate jesus christ uh, the whole focus needs to be on him we celebrate jesus we celebrate the gospel we celebrate the fulfillment of scripture we celebrate uh, the prophecies fulfilled this is what it's all about we want to bring all eyes to christ all eyes to christ the thieves the wolves the rats and the goats so try to get on distractions of other things, but Santa Claus and tinsels and trees and the colors and the lights and all that stuff. It's not about that. And it's not about that. It's about Jesus Christ and him fulfilled. It's about the cross, the burial, the resurrection. It's about salvation from sin. That God so loved us that that he made the promise that he would come and he would save us from our sins. And he did. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we focus on. So in those days, he taught the gospel. And this carried on the same torch of the same focus of everything in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God, even in celebrations and holidays and days and for just everything. In everything, we bring it back to Jesus Christ. It's Christ-centric. Our lives are to be Christ-centric. Our homes are to be Christ-centric. So we saw this the same thing with Zacchaeus. Isn't when Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus's house, Zacchaeus came down out of the tree and that, that brought him over to home, and Christ was the center of the home, the center of the focus of everything. And Jesus' salvation has come to this house. Isn't that interesting? Not only did Zacchaeus believe the gospel, but and that the truth of God of the gospel of salvation. That was received by Zacchaeus, and he believed it. But salvation has come to the house, Jesus literally in the house. We see Christ in the house, Christ sitting down with him, Christ fellowshipping with him. Salvation has come to our house. Salvation has come to our, our homes, to our lives, to our minds. And we want to celebrate this. We want to honor this. We want to promote this. We want to talk about this. We want to publish this everywhere we go and everything that we do. That's what it's all about. So, and it came to pass, Luke chapter 20, verse 1, it came to pass that on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple. See, see, he still goes back to the temple that he purged out. He's camping himself there. So every day that, that uh, the people see him there and that the wolves and the thieves and the rats aren't too eager to come back because the one who purged him out is still sitting right there. So you see, he, gu- he guards the truth. And we need to emphasize on this. He taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. He preached it. You hear people say, don't you preach at me. Well, that's what we're supposed to do. Go to all the world and preach the gospel. That we are preachers, that it's proclaimers, we are proliferators. We go and declare the truth. That's what it means to preach. Some people say, well, well, women aren't supposed to preach. Now, we got to understand context of 1 Timothy 2 and 3 and Titus 1. It's in relation to uh, leadership of a local church uh, as a pastor and then as a deacon. Pastors and deacons are men and women aren't to teach instruct take the position of leadership and instructors of a local church women are allowed to be evangelists women are allowed to be missionaries women are allowed to go and and share and spread the gospel women are allowed to read the bible and social media and witness the gospel everywhere they're allowed to do that absolutely but that the only restriction is as pastor or deacon so are women allowed to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Is that not what the uh, prophetesses did at the beginning when, when uh, Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple and the, and the prophets and prophetesses met them? The prophetesses went all throughout Jerusalem declaring the truth of Christ, that Christ had come. There you go. Women are allowed. All right, so, and preached the gospel. What does it mean to preach the gospel? To preach the gospel is to declare the gospel plainly, clearly, loudly, without without wavering, unashamed. Is you de- declare it as it is, this is what it is, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you make no apology. No apology. Is you state it as adamant truth. You're not just speaking the gospel. You're preaching, that is to instruct the hearers, that those who are hearing you would hear clearly, plainly, this is what it is, for the purpose that they would be convicted of their sins and they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to preach, to declare a truth without any room, any wiggle room or any without any doubt, any shadow of doubt. This is what it is, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach the truth. And we are meant to be preachers, declarers of the truth of Jesus Christ. So, and he preached the gospel. And while he's doing this, do you remember when I said before how everywhere that Jesus went, no matter what he did, and no matter what we do when it's in line with the word of God, the vultures will always descend. The vultures will always descend. doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, what's going on, the vultures will descend. Because the devil, the enemy, is not able to just sit idly by and just allow the lord to work the devil has to do something he can't help himself the enemy can't help themselves if they see and hear anything of the truth of the lord it's like a dog with a bone it's like saying sick him to a hound dog they just they they can't help themselves they have to say something they have to do something just to to slight god to just to just, just to hate on christ just to try to silence the truth to be a hindrance a distract distraction even even something like that, a distraction. That while the preaching's going on, so- someone in the rooms or something in the room starts kicking off, making noise, distracting, and hindering uh, from hearing the truth with all your attention. To get your attention off even remotely, they'll do anything. From either uh, supernatural demonic activity. From demonic activity, to the the enemy actually showing up to try to do something, to the enemy actually manipulating, moving certain people to go and do a thing, or anything. They'll do anything. So while Jesus is preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders. Now, look at the words. They came upon him. They descended upon him they didn't just kind of you know just they see jesus teaching the people they didn't kind of just come in the back there and listen in and kind of slowly inch their way up you know raise their hand like they want to they want to ask a question No, that jesus is teaching and they barged right in they interrupted the whole thing they couldn't care less what jesus is doing they have absolutely no respect No respect for for the sound of the word of God, no respect for the teaching, no respect for the people, no respect for Jesus. They only respect themselves. They only care about themselves, and everyone else is below them, beneath them. They come upon him. So they so Jesus is sitting there teaching the people. Here comes the here comes the scribes and the Pharisees and of them. And they just barge right in, interrupt the teaching. They stand all around Jesus, blocking off the people, and they just start speaking and spouting their thing. That's what that means by they came upon him. So they came upon him with the elders. Because they believed Jesus as being younger than them. That Jesus was not as educated. That he obviously must, must have, uh, have some wrong doctrine. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he needs to be educated. That's the attitude of the Pharisees. So they came upon him with the elders. And spake unto him, saying, Tell us. Do you see the, the, just the, the arrogance? The absolute arrogance of these Pharisees, of these individuals. The arrogance. So they come in, they butt in the teaching, no respect, and they just start grilling Jesus. And spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things, or who is he that gave thee this authority? In other words, if you were to translate this into modern lingo, that this is the same thing as they surround Jesus and they just point a finger at him and say, Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to to come into the temple, get rid of all all the the marketplace, to take over, to start teaching people in the temple? Who do you think you are? Oh, man. I could say a lot on that one. You know, it's one thing to ask questions. There's nothing wrong with asking questions, and asking questions of anyone. To ask a preacher, a teacher, missionary, evangelist, to ask any other Christian, doesn't matter what age, doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter what's going on in what position they are, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Even if you think the individual might be mistaken about something, there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking questions. It's in how it's asked. It's in how you ask the individual. It's also in, in the reaction of the person who's being questioned. So if you walk up to an individual and you start asking them questions about their teaching or something going on or whatever else, if the person blows up and starts having this kind of attitude, um, I think you put your finger on something. I think you got. I think you've uh, exposed a raw nerve. I think you may have revealed the issue. When a person gets all arrogant and uppity because how dare you question me? You've kind of revealed the issue. I've actually had that happen many a time. Many a time, uh, I've approached individuals, uh, different teachers and preachers, and I've actually had them blow up on me just like that. Where I, the one guy, he was actually teaching incorrectly. He he was uh, uh teaching a, a a wrong teaching. To the uh, to the audience and i went up to him privately afterwards i went up to him privately afterwards and, and even quietly so no one else would hear it because I, I had no intention of making a deal i just wanted to ask him to see okay what, what what's what's going on like why are you saying this and um and so i just asked him and i said okay i thought i thought this is what the bible meant by this and you were saying this i was just wondering well, well, well what what's your thoughts on this and it was i was being respectful and i was being quiet about it i wasn't making a deal but how dare i even question the guy oh my goodness that where, where we were there there was a huge conference and there were hundreds and hundreds of people all around and uh And so, me and him are standing off to the side, and I'm quietly asking the guy a question. He blows up, starts screaming at me in front of the crowd, drew all the attention, and he literally said the words, who do you think you are? All I did was ask a question. But pride, pride arrogant pride is what it's all about is how dare you who do you think you are and all that kind of thing that anybody who dares bring up that guy you can't question me don't you uh, don't you question my authority don't question my teaching and i'm a i have this license and this doctorate this diploma and this degree and i'm this and all this and who do you think you are i'm a this and that that's this pride and arrogance, that's a devil talking that's that's not the spirit of God. That's a devil talking. that's not the spirit of God. Anyone who gets all riled up from being being asked questions or any of that kind of thing, they have not the spirit of God working through that. God doesn't bless that. But that's what the Pharisees, the Pharisees did. That's the, the, the arrogant pride of the Pharisees. Everyone else was below them. They were the masters and everyone else is below them. So they came in, they, they didn't talk to Jesus. See, when you understand the attitude, the arrogance, the pride, and the snide, smug pride and arrogance of, of these individuals, they don't talk to you. They talk at you. They talk at you. So could you imagine? See, what I'm trying to do here is paint a picture for for you to see. To use your sanctified imagination. Picture Jesus, the Christ, the mighty God, sitting right there. Jesus Jesus Christ, the mighty God, sitting right there with all the people around. And he's talking to them. He's teaching them. He's instructing them of righteousness. In comes barging in the Pharisees. They surround, interrupt the whole thing and start talking at Jesus. Demanding of him, by what authority are you speaking? right, there is so much scripture. There is so much scripture that you can bring into this on how to deal with these kinds of individuals. Now, you are within biblical precedent, biblical license to just outright rebuke these individuals and command them to be silent and depart. You are within biblical license to to grab them by the scruff of the neck and you know, give them a swift kick to the pants and, and shove them out the door. You're within biblical license. These are sons of Belial, and they're interrupting the teaching of God. If you're in a church, and the pastor's in the pulpit, and he's teaching the people, and in comes these, these kinds of individuals barging through the door, interrupt the service, and start grilling the preacher— It's the deacon's job to grab a hold of those guys and shove them out the door. You don't allow people to interrupt the teaching of God like that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It reminds me of a video I saw a while ago. Um, uh, There's a a pastor in, in Canada where he's in the middle of a church service. He's in the middle of the church service. He's in the pulpit teaching the people, and the police and health inspectors come barging in the door, interrupt the whole service, and start grilling the people and the pastor. The pastor comes down out of the pulpit and shouts at them to get out, and he drives them out of the church. He drives them out of the church, and and, uh, it goes back to the pulpit and finishes teaching the people. That is what you're supposed to do right there. That 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 is impressive. That is respectful. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Immense respect to that pastor. You never let the sons and daughters of Belial try to take over the teaching of God. Absolutely not. Now there's many different reactions many different kinds of approaches that you could do to this now what kind of approach did jesus have to these individuals at this time is we did see jesus tell them off we did see jesus drive them out with a whip we did see jesus grill them tell them off expose their sin in front of everybody calling out all of their nonsense in front of everybody we see jesus doing that and so we so we see the multiple reactions that Jesus had with these individuals. Many of the SJW, SJW limp-wristed liberal Christians would be fainting right now hearing me talking like this. Um, and, and they say, oh, you never speak harshly. You never judge. Judge. You never be like that. Okay, so they, they're basically condemning Elijah with his calling out and mocking of the... Prophets of Baal and the false gods, that that they're also calling out and condemning John the Baptist. They're condemning Jesus. They're condemning Peter. They're condemning Paul. Yeah, so we are absolutely within biblical license to call out and rebuke sin in multiple different ways. It's the Spirit of God will put it on you how to react in that moment. Because it's the Spirit of the Lord reacting, not you. Never react in flesh. You react in spirit how does jesus react to these pharisees verse 2. so they surround jesus and they demand of him they demand of jesus by what authority doest thou these things who is he that gave thee this authority now uh, sorry Lindsay says speaking of vultures descending happening a lot as my husband has drawn closer to Jesus and declared him a savior. Yep, yeah. You'll see the enemy try to distract. And that's when you need to step up your game and defend the truth more and strengthen and encourage and edify his heart, his spirit and mind in this truth. And you need to pray and intercede for him even more. Absolutely. Okay, so we see they're demanding, by what authority are you speaking, Jesus? All right, now... We have to look at this for a moment and be like a Sherlock Holmes, a detective on this. And we have to look at the situation. Did the Pharisees and them, did they know exactly who Jesus was? I'd like to ask you that question. Someone answer in uh, in the comments there. Did the Pharisees and these individuals, did they know who Jesus was? Did they know who he was? What do you think? What's your thoughts did they know do they do they know who jesus is and you go back and you take a look at the the prophecies you take a look at all the events and the things happening you look at uh the birth of John the Baptist and all the people and you see the the angels and the shepherds and Herod and the wise men and everything else going on and and, and uh just all of this going on here and we see John the Baptist with Jesus at Jordan and and you take a look at all the details all the circumstances of, of, of how much public involvement was in all this did the pharisees and all of them know who jesus was you see there's a lot of people who will say no they didn't know who he was and they would be wrong they would be uh, incorrect in that because when we do a study on the gospels and we study the prophecies and all this and we study the gospels they actually knew full well who jesus was and that in and of itself is quite shocking that is really shocking. that changes a lot of things. that changes a lot when you realize that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and all of them that they actually full well knew who Jesus was. And we're actually going to see Jesus even tell them that that you know who I am. Bear with me. Okay, so the Pharisees asked Jesus, "By what authority are you speaking?" well would the prophecy say what does scripture say it is written it is written it is written it is written okay what does isaiah 9 6 say for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders the government shall be upon his shoulders what does that mean all authority power and ruleship all Authority, power, and rulership will be placed upon the shoulders of this child-born son given. Now, we quote that verse a lot around Christmas time. We see it on cards and posters and and it's in songs and all kinds of... It's everywhere. Isaiah 9-6. But we don't really pay attention to the specific words. We quote it, sing it, we, uh, uh, we write it. We don't really pay attention to the... To the specifics of the words have you ever done that isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government that's all power all ruleship all authority and the government shall be upon his shoulders that's all the power of god will be upon him the government shall be upon his shoulders and his names shall be wonderful counselor the mighty god not a not part of the 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 mighty god the everlasting father Almighty, Sovereign, Lord, God, Supreme has come down. His spirit has come down. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, he fashions and forms a body for himself that he indwells. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father is in me. The Son and the Father are one. I and my Father are one. You see, the body and the Spirit make, make for one being. Right there. The two have become one. So, Isaiah 9.6 says the childborn son given is called the mighty God, everlasting Father. Isaiah 7.14 says that the virgin shall give birth to a son and shall call his name Jesus. And, and, and he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see Gabriel quoting that to, to Mary and we see his name will be Jesus. We see Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that, that there will be one born in Bethlehem whose ways are of old even of everlasting. And in the Hebrew that means the always existing one, almighty sovereign Lord God will be born in Bethlehem. So did the Pharisees were the Pharisees not aware of scripture? No, they knew scripture. They knew that Jesus' mother was Mary. They they heard about the virgin birth. He was born in Bethlehem. He's He's of the bloodline of David. He meets all of the criteria. We see John the Baptist, which they knew full well who John the Baptist was, and they knew that he was the herald of the Christ. They even asked him. They knew who he was, and they knew about that he was he was the prophet that was foretold by Malachi because, his, because John the Baptist's parents were declaring this all this and the angel even came and came came to them and the whole thing and all went all throughout the hill country that the prophet had come the, of John the Baptist, and then John the Baptist at the river Jordan points at Jesus, the herald of the Christ points at Jesus, says behold the Lamb of God shall take away the sin of the world. And they saw the spirit descend on him like a dove. They all saw this. They knew. And then they heard the teaching. They saw the miracles. They saw and heard everything. They knew full well who he was, and they did not care. They did not care. So they ask him, By what authority do you say these things? And Jesus calls them out on it. Because Jesus knows full well what's going on. He knows what's in the heart. He knows what's in the mind. He knows what's going on. Verse 3, Jesus answered the Pharisees. He answers their belligerent question. In verse 3, and he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. He answers a question with a question. You know, in my study of apologetics, in my debates and discussions and evangelism, I've actually found that this kind of approach is immensely powerful and effective. Is you reword their question back at them, but rewording it such a way as to reveal to them that they already know the truth. It's very, very effective. So Jesus answers their question with a question. He says, I will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John. Now, what does he mean by the baptism of John? The preaching of repentance of John, of John's work and ministry, of calling people to repentance and how how those that repented and believed would be baptized, uh, the work of John the Baptist. He says, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? John the Baptist. Was Was he a preacher of God? Or was he just himself, just one, just spouting in the wilderness, just another person, just railing off their own opinions? What was John the Baptist all about? Why did he ask them that question? Because that's where it starts. Because if you don't believe John the Baptist, you're not going to believe Jesus. If you're not going to believe the heralds of Christ, you're not going to believe in Jesus Christ. If you're not going to believe in the prophets that, that... that uh, preceded jesus and spoke of the Christ Messiah. if you're not going to believe the law if you're not going to believe the prophets you're not going to believe in christ if you're not going to believe as as we see in the one story of jesus about the rich man and lazarus or the rich man cried was crying to to abraham in paradise to send lazarus back and abraham says they have they have the the moses and the law if they don't believe moses and the law they're not even going to believe if one rose from the dead The baptism of john the work of john the baptist the law and the prophets is it of heaven or of men and the pharisees and all them they kind of skulk off to the side and they start talking within themselves and they reasoned with themselves saying if we shall say from heaven he will say why then believed ye him not and but if we say of men All the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Are you hearing this? Look at the specific words here. If we say it's from heaven. Now, they knew it was from God. They knew full well. They even sent an entourage over to John the Baptist in the wilderness to ask him, "Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you, uh, wh- wh- who are you?" They knew full well that John the Baptist was from God. Why then believed ye him not that uh, Jesus will ask will ask us if we say we don't uh, we don't believe he was from heaven? So if we believe he is from heaven, he'll, he'll ask, why don't we believe in him? But if we say, if it's, if it's a men, all the people will stone us because they believe he's a prophet. Even all the rest of the, the people, the ignorant people, they all knew John the Baptist was a prophet from God. They all knew. And so, so they can't figure out what to do because they know. They know what Jesus will say. They know that Jesus will call them out on this. That if they deny john that john is being a prophet that he'll get called out if they admit that john is a prophet jesus will say well how come you don't believe him then because who did john testify of jesus the prophets testify of christ and to deny the prophets is to deny christ to deny the law is to deny christ to deny the word of god is to deny christ so now they're kind of caught stuck between a rock and a hard place here. So what do they do? They play they play the ignorant safe game. And the answer and said that they couldn't tell what he was. Oh we don't know actually, we're not sure. We're not exactly sure if John was of God or not. They're liars. They concocted a lie. They're a bunch of lying snakes, is all they are. And you know what the what the, these Pharisees, these kinds of individuals, you know what they're guilty of? Romans one eighteen to twenty five they suppress the truth in unrighteousness they see the truth they know it's the truth they know exactly what the truth is all about but they but they reject it because it's the truth because to accept the truth they would have to change and they would rather stay in their sin and their ignorance and stay in their opinion stay in their state and they'll suppress the truth in unrighteousness now uh, romans 1 18 25 the suppressing the truth in unrighteousness is the same language in description of like going to the beach you go to the beach and you have a big beach ball an inflatable beach ball what you do is you take the beach ball and you push it down under the water you push the ball under the water and deny the ball exists and you're fighting and holding it down because it's trying to pop up. But you push it down. You push it down more. And you, and you get other things to try to hold it down. You suppress it. You push it down. and hide. No, it doesn't exist. There is no ball. It's not true. It doesn't exist. It, it's not there. That's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. The prophets would come and the Pharisees would push them down. Push them. away. Nope, nope, it's not true. Nope, nope, nope. It's not true. It's not true. That's what they're doing. They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness now what does jesus then say to these kinds of individuals knowing that the pharisees and these kinds of individuals they're a bunch of lying manipulative hypocrites that's all they are, that they're twisting the word of God, deliberately changing the meanings of the words, deliberately twisting and changing the teaching of the prophets. They're, they're, they're teaching for doctrines the traditions of men, and they have not the love of God in them. They're nothing but whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. That's all they are, as Jesus said. They're lying snakes, children of their father, the devil. They have not the love of God in them. What does jesus say to them when they say oh we don't know who john was what does jesus say verse 8. jesus then says and neither will i tell you by what authority i do these things (laughs) i love it i love it playing their own game back you see as jesus proves here and this is what is immensely needed for, uh, for up-and-coming evangelists, teachers, missionaries, pastors, preachers, that you need to understand this. If you're going to get into debate, apologetics, and teaching, and witnessing, you need to understand this. You are under no obligation whatsoever to have to answer the haters the trolls, the deniers, the the, the naysayers, all of these kinds of individuals, you are under no obligation to have to answer their stupid questions. Jesus shows us. You do not have to give an answer to the stupid. Neither do I tell you about what authority I do these things. He doesn't have to explain himself. I do not have to explain myself to individuals who come in and there's uh, stupid questions and there's stupid belligerent interruptions and all these things and things that there's stupid questioning. I do not have to answer that. I don't. I have one job, one job to do, and that's to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to edify the saints and instruct the sinners and show them how they need to be saved. I do not have to answer the devils. I do not have to answer the trolls. I do not have to answer the naysayers and all the troublemakers. I am under no obligation to have to pay any attention to them. You know what the Bible teaches about that? uh, uh, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Let's go over there. What does it say? Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. They're a bunch of lying deceivers. Ignore them. Then we go over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. Titus 3, 10 to 11. A man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. And then we go back to First Timothy. First Timothy, chapter six, verses three to five. First Timothy, chapter six, verses three to five. If any man teach otherwise, otherwise other than what the word of God, contrary to sound doctrine, teaches. Contrary, to sound, they contradict the word of God, and they teach other doctrines, other gospels. Like Galatians one eight to nine, other gospels that are accursed of God. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words wholesome words simple sound doctrine and they have to make make excuses different things or as we see certain preachers are foul mouthed like Stephen Anderson Pastor Stephen Anderson He's a foul-mouthed individual who uses the F word and all kinds of other cussins in his preaching. He actually makes up bold-faced lies about other people who he disagrees with. He's a foul-mouthed, angry, little, uh, arrogant, prideful individual. He's someone you should ignore. Don't listen to Stephen Anderson. If any men teach otherwise, other than what the Word of God instructs on doctrine and, uh, and theology and humility, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. They know nothing. They don't know what they're talking about and they're ignorant. You hear that? Even God says it. They're, they know nothing. They're ignorant. Oh, but they got degrees and diplomas and positions of power and authority and notoriety and tons of followers. They're ignorant. They're ignorant fools who don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. They can have all the degrees that they they have. They need to get their money back because their degrees came from a bubblegum machine. They didn't come from God. They're proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words. Contentious about but meanings of words and things, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. <laughs> supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself get away from anyone who would be like any of these things but look at one of the things here supposing that gain is godliness what does that sound like what does that sound like prosperity preachers oops so we see here those that suppose that gain is godliness from such, withdraw yourself. They're destitute of the truth. They're ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. The pride-lying deceivers. Proud-lying deceivers. Supposing the gain is godliness. Ooh. Word of God's full of harsh words, isn't it? So, we see that Jesus knows this. And that Paul and the other disciples, they received this teaching from Christ and they codified it. They wrote it down. This is, the, this is the approach that Jesus had with the Pharisees as well. Marking and avoiding those that are ignorant of the truth and don't know what they're talking about and they're just being lying deceivers. Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. I'm under no obligation to have to answer you. You won't answer me and you're going to lie and deny and twist the truth like that? I don't have to talk to you. Absolutely, I, I don't have to talk to you. End conversation right there. Block, delete, remove, unsubscribe, walk away. Get up, get out. Get up, get out. So, what does Jesus also do? You see, Jesus will call out the heretics. The shepherd will expose the wolves to everyone. And this is also very important. If your pastor, if your teacher does not call out and will not call out the wolves and describe who the wolves are and actually name and call out the wolves, that's because he's one of the pack. You see, Jesus very, very regularly called out and named the heretics, named the false prophets, exposed the hypocrisy and the sin and the the false doctrine. We see the, the apostles did the same thing, naming individuals. El, El, uh, uh, Paul with Elymas the sorcerer, Peter with uh, Simon the sorcerer. We see uh, uh, Paul with uh, uh, Hymen, Hymenaeus uh, and the others, and uh, how um, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, be, be thou aware of him also. And so we see it, it's very important to expose it so that for the purpose that uh, the saints wouldn't be deceived by them. You see, those who see and identify a wolf needs to warn warn the flock. Needs to tell the other sheep, the other flock, there's a wolf over here, stay away from this wolf. This wolf is trying to trick you. This wolf is putting on a sheepskin to pretend to be one of us, but they're not. They're a lying wolf. Beware of them. What does Jesus do here? So you see, the Pharisees come in and they in their belligerent lying deceiving arrogance disrupt the teaching what does jesus do calls them out in front of everybody he plays their game you want to do you want to come in butt in and you want to try to you want to try to call me out you want to try to get me in trouble you you want to try to trip me up you know what and he starts jesus starts teaching the crowd jesus turns back to the crowd where the whole crowd was watching this Jesus turns back to the crowd and tells the people a parable. Listen to this. Jesus then says to the crowd, A certain man planted a vineyard, and led it forth to husbandmen, and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen, and they should, that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandman beat him and sent him away empty. Now, in case you're not aware exactly what the language here is and what's going on, the, the parable as the, the man who planted a vineyard, that's God planting Israel, God creating Israel, and he set certain people in charge of Israel, uh, and then the servants that God would send servants to Israel, which are the prophets, okay? That's what he's talking about. The servants are the prophets that the the landlord of the vineyard would send prophets. God would send prophets to Israel. But those in charge of Israel would beat the prophets, just like the Pharisees and those religious rulers did. They persecuted and killed and stoned and slaughtered the prophets. They beat the servant and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant and they beat him also. And entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty and again sent a third and they wounded him they wounded him also and cast him out then said the lord of the vineyard what shall i do i will send my beloved son it it, it may be well that they will reverence him and when they see him but when the husbandmen saw him they reasoned among themselves saying this is the heir This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. Those in charge of the vineyard, those in charge of Israel, saw the heir, saw the son of God. They said, this is the heir. This is the son of the landlord. This is the son of the owner of the vineyard, that the husbandman knew full well who this one was. Jesus is saying, you know full well who I am. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen, and shall give the vineyard to others. And the people, when they heard this, said, God forbid that such a thing should happen. But you hear what Jesus said. Did you hear it? The parable of the vineyard is Israel, and the husbandmen are those in charge of the temple. The servants that are sent are the prophets. And as Jesus said, which of the prophets did they not kill? Jesus goes on to say, verse 17, and he, and he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. The cornerstone of the church. Which that which they absolutely hated has become the very foundation upon which everything is built. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall will grind him to powder. Jesus is quoting Psalm one eighteen verse twenty two and Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine. Jesus is quoting the prophecies of himself that the prophet spoke of him that he that jesus is the chief cornerstone and he is that upon which if you fall on him it'll grind you to powder you try to oppose christ you'll be destroyed that's what jesus saying. you try to you try to oppose me you're going to be destroyed and you know full well who i am now generally when you hear something like this a rebuke like this that will get your attention and you'll start thinking and you start maybe rethinking your your thought process, your approach to things. And Jesus calling you out like this, it might rebuke you and you might repent of this. But what did, what did the Pharisees do? Did they humble themselves to this? Did they rethink about this and may, think maybe, maybe I am wrong? Maybe Jesus is right? Well, what did they do? And Jesus, look at this. He says, you know who I am. You know I'm the heir. And we see later on, Jesus even uh, 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 quotes this in the Gospel of John at, at, at a few points. And they say, who are you? He says, you know who I am. The same as I've told you already, you know who I am. The Pharisees knew Jesus is the Son of God. They knew Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him, for they feared the people, for they persuaded that he had spoken this parable against them. They wanted to lay hands on him. They wanted to kill him. They are so arrogant, so deluded, so deceived, so hateful. They are so against the word of God that they knew Jesus was the Christ Messiah and they wanted to kill him so that they could keep their positions of power they wanted to destroy the very gospel of salvation by grace so they could keep their own mysticisms and opinions and law that they would rewrite the word of god to fit their own suppositions that they'll they'll twist and contradict the word of god to the nth degree so they could keep their traditions and religiosity They'll even redefine the very meaning of grace, so they could keep their own mystic law keeping. They wanted to kill Jesus, so they could keep their own opinions in position. They perceived. Now look, look at this. Look at this. Verse nineteen. Verse nineteen. Look what it says. For they feared the people, for they perceived. They knew. They knew full well. They perceived. That Jesus had spoken this parable against them they knew what Jesus was saying they knew what Jesus was saying they knew full well that Jesus had just called them out in front of the whole crowd saying you know full well who I am and you're opposing me you're going to be destroyed for you know that I'm the son of God you know I'm the Christ Messiah You know that I'm the heir. They perceived he had spoken this parable against them. They knew and they got angry. You see that? You'll notice in preaching and teaching evangelism and apologetics that when you're witnessing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to actually come across this where you're witnessing to certain people and you you refute, rebuke certain people and they just blow up and go off the handle. They get all mad and arrogant and angry and they all wrapped up. You, You know what that is. That's the reason they are angry is because they know what you're saying is the truth and they don't like it. It makes them angry. The truth makes them angry and they know it's the truth and that's why they're getting all worked up. When a person gets all worked up and angry like that, that's because you just exposed their sin. You just refuted and exposed their lies, and now they're angry that you have just caused the beach ball to pop back up again. That they had spent so much time and effort burying that beach ball, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and you just caused that beach ball to pop back up again. And they know that this is what it is. They know that beach ball is the truth, and that they've been denying all this time, and they've been trying to suppress it and hide it. That's why they get mad but the problem with the pharisees here is they couldn't lay hands on jesus here because all the people were believing in jesus and would defend him and they were afraid of the people you see liars and hypocrites and false prophets and false teachers what they prey upon is your ignorance of the word of god you outnumber the false prophets. The only reason they have power is because you give them a po- give them power by your ignorance of Scripture. That's why you got to be so careful. I'm saying you is in a general sense. That, why we need to be so careful is to study the word of God out like the Bereans. we got to know what it says. Because all the false prophets and false teachers, they lose all of their power. They lose all of their power When you know the bible when you know the word of god and what it says they lose all power the only reason they have power is because people are ignorant of the word of god if the people would just read their bible for a second the people following kenneth copeland joel osteen and joyce myers those those devils If the people in the congregation sitting on them, if they even just cracked open their Bible for a second and just read the thing, they would see how these these so-called preachers are nothing but children of Satan. They're demons in pantsuits, is all they are. If people would just study the Word of God, and all this, these people, this multitude that was sitting in front of Jesus, they heard and saw Jesus call them out. And they saw how Jesus used the word of God against the Pharisees. And the Pharisees lost face. They lost face. They They lost some of their standing in front of the people, in front of the people. And that's also what got them upset. You see, liars, charlatans, deniers, false prophets, false preachers, they can't handle it. They can't handle it when you school them in front of others because they have no humility they have absolutely no humility and as the word of God says a wise man loves rebuke loves correction a wise man that when you instruct them you show them truth that they will thank you for it and they love questions they love to, to, to instruct and teach you the truth. And you come to them and ask them, well, you said this, but I thought this is what it was. Instead of getting all mad, they say, well, actually, you see, here, grab your Bible and I'll show you. But the Pharisees have no humility, no meekness, no understanding, no respect. They're full of pride and arrogance, thinking they have all the answers. They already got all wired down. So what did they do? They watched him. Verse 20, and they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men. Sons of Belial professional liars, like politicians, professional liars and, and to follow along pretend to be just persons, but actually spies. They try to to try to find something that Jesus may say or do wrong and they can call him out on it and get him all in trouble see that's also what what uh, uh deceivers and deluders false prophets false preachers and all these kinds of individuals do that when they can't hold a candle to the word of god they 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 don't have answers to the truth they, they can't answer your questions they'll just start attacking your person it happens all the time all the time especially in apologetics and debates that uh, the, the moment The moment that they start attacking your person, calling out little things and exposing little things or attacking the way you talk, the way you walk or something in your life, they start pointing the fingers at something in your life, they, they, they lost the whole thing. They'll start attacking your person. They start name calling you and everything else. They start calling you names and stuff. That proves that they lost the whole thing. And this is what they do, this is what the Pharisees are doing. They sent forth spies, they should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, so that that so they might deliver him unto the power and authorities and the of the governor. And they they these spies come to Jesus and ask him a question. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly neither acceptest thou the person of any but teachest the way of god truly flatterers beware of flattery beware of flattery always always hold any form of flattery at arm's length if someone if if all they do is flatter and flatter and flatter and flatter, there's something wrong. There's something off. Be very wary of flattery. Flattery commonly is the, is the tool of the spy, of someone who's who's critical of you but doesn't want to say it, and they're just they're just trying to get to know as much as they can about you to expose you or something like that. Beware of flattery. We we know that what thou sayest that that thou sayest and teachest rightly neither acceptest thou the person of any but teachest the way of God truly we know you teach the way of God truly lies lies and flattery flattery and lies look at this and this and they ask the question verse twenty two is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no should we follow the government? Should we follow uh, the rules and laws of the land? Should, should we obey those that have the power and rule over you? Should we give tribute to Caesar? Should we, should we pay our taxes or no? You see, the other thing, too, is people that you're debating with, you're trying to instruct and teach, well, try to change the topic to something outside the Bible. Because they can't debate doctrine. They are incapable of speaking and debating doctrine and theology. So they'll try to bring in something outside the Bible to change the topic to something outside the Bible because they can't argue the Bible to try to trip you up on things outside the Bible. You see that? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or no? Is it lawful to pay taxes or no? Is it is it lawful to obey those in position of rule and right here right now anybody many many people here in this will start blowing up because so many professed christians are are raging anarchists and want to murder the government and hate the government they, they speak evil and snide and they slander the government and the powers and authorities and all that kind of thing and the bible says you shouldn't and we're all guilty of it we're all guilty of it but the bible says you're not supposed to speak evil of any man it doesn't matter who or what they are. Speak evil of no men. For Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins too and wants them to be saved. Do you pray for their lost soul? As much as you slander and hate the people in position of authority, do you pray for their lost soul? Verse 23, But he perceived their craftiness. You see, Jesus knows full well what they're all about. You see, how can we be aware of these kinds of individuals that may pop up in our lives? How can we be aware of it? Well, Mark 13, 11, Exodus 4, 12, John 14, 26, and on and on we see throughout the Word of God. The Lord says, worry not what to say beforehand. I will give thee the words of which to say in the very same hour. I will teach thee what thou shalt say. My Spirit, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will be will dwell within you and will teach you. And guide you and cause you to be in remembrance of everything which i have told you don't worry don't worry about it you stick with the word of god you stick with what scripture says you make no apology for scripture you give no wiggle room you do not compromise doctrine you stand on the word of god absolutely dogmatically and the spirit of god will give you the exact words of what to say in everything and the enemy will not be able to trip you up what does Scripture say, "Thus saith the Lord"? What does the Word of God say? It is written. It is written. It is written. What does the Word of God say? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or no? Well, you see, if if Jesus was to play the uh, the patriot he would say well no we got to oppose the romans oppose the romans fight the romans what, what 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 is in it is israel belongs to israel we need to fight and we need to be anarchists we need to rebel against it, fight the romans or jesus could play the side of the politician and say well you know to keep the peace we got to we got to pay pay the romans and we, we you know we can we we, we got to be careful but what does jesus say you see The things of this world are of this world. And Jesus did not come to build a kingdom and empire of this world. As Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. You see, those that want this world and want a kingdom of this world, they want the treasures of this world and they want power and authority of this world. And the things of this world don't matter. Things of this world are irrelevant. Buildings are buildings and money is money and it's all going to be burned up and get spent and wasted away and it's all going to rot and rust and be eaten by moths and be stolen by thieves and build up not for yourselves treasures on earth but build up yourselves treasure in heaven. Jesus also knows, knows here that these spies are a bunch of lying deceivers. He knows and he says, Why tempt ye me? Why are you tempting me? Now, what does he mean by that? What, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, no, Jesus knows that these guys, are these spies, are lying deceivers, and they're flattering and lying and deceiving just to try to trip them up, that they're, they're deliberately asking this question in an attempt to try to get Jesus to make a mistake, to try to prove God wrong, to try to make God a liar, to try to make God a failure. It's, it's the same, same thing though people ask hypothetical questions in an attempt to try to make Scripture not true, Scripture a lie, or to try to find a way around to disprove the Word of God. Like, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Yeah, but, but but what if, I know the Bible says this, But 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 what if this were to happen over here? The reason you're asking that question is because you don't like what the Word of God is saying flat out. When you deliberately have to reword a question in such a way, knowing what the Bible says, but you have to reword a hypothetical in such a way as to try to make this not true, you're tempting God. You're deliberately tempting God, and you're no better than these lying, deceiving spies. You're deliberately trying to make God a failure, trying to cause the Word of God to be insufficient, to try to prove the Bible wrong. You're trying to find uh, ways around, loopholes around what the Word of God is saying. Uh, uh, those, Those kinds of hypothetical questions are tempting God, and you're making them angry because you don't like what the word of god says flat out so you're trying to make an excuse you're trying to create some form of excuse so you can get around what the word of god is saying what does the word of god say regarding paying tribute to caesar when it comes to that topic what does the bible say to obey the laws of the land oh you'll hate it you'll absolutely hate it And people are going to hate me they're going to get really mad at me for saying this But the Bible says pay your taxes. Jesus says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Yeah, but all the money is God's. And God says to obey the laws of the land that includes taxes. But but they're all a bunch of lying deceivers. So is Caesar, and Jesus says to render to Caesar. Caesar was a a professed God-emperor who made idols of himself and forced people to worship him as a God. And Jesus says, Render unto Caesar things that are Caesar's. Money is money, and buildings are buildings, and things are things, and it belongs to this world. The things that are God's are things that are spirit. God did not say, Obey the laws of the land unless they're Godless pagans obey the laws of the land and them that the rule over you. Except unless they're, they're they're unchristian. Except if they're evil. Unless that they're doing bad things, then you don't have to obey them. He didn't say that. Didn't say that. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now Jesus, uh, in another uh, one of the other Gospels, he says, Does anybody here have a, have a penny, have a coin? Can I see your coin? And they uh, gave him a coin. And he holds up the coin and says, Whose inscription and image is this on the coin? And they said, It is Caesar's image. He says, Then render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. You see, the godless pagans and the lying hypocrites, the, the false prophets and the false teachers, these kinds of individuals speak evil of dignitaries, speak evil of authorities, and, and they, they wage anarchy and rebellion and and and, and, and teach the saints how to be unchrist like in appearance and attitude and behavior. They, they twist things up and get you off the mark, get you focused on things that are outside of Scripture what does the bible say what does christ say what does christ say now there is a there is a line there is a line we do see in the word of god though you see obey the laws of the land yes is what scripture says but there is a line there is a limit and we do see it in acts where the apostles are hauled up before the Sanhedrin. And there's a precedent that is set in the Word of God throughout the Word of God. The precedent is that when individuals of supposed authority and position, when when they are trying to force you to get you to do that which in and of itself is sin, you do not have to obey. When those in position of authority and rulership are trying to get you to sin, get you to do that which is technically in contradiction to the Word of God, you do not have to obey. Absolutely not. You stand your ground in the righteousness of God. Say, yes, I acknowledge you are the authority. You are the king. You are the governor. You are the president or whatever. You are the authority and the rule. Yes, I get that. But what you're trying to get me to do, what you're trying to get me to say, contradicts the Word of God. And I ought to obey God rather than men when it comes to that so we see what is important israel is israel belongs to israel belongs to the jews absolutely but the romans are trying to take over Uh, individuals and others are trying to take over that which is of god belongs to god and god will protect that which is of god belongs to god and god will protect you fear not them who try to take over and try try to work the ways of the world you fear not the enemy you fear not the devil you fear not them which contradict the word of god you don't fear them and you stay with the lord you stand in righteousness you stand with the lord jesus why tempt ye me don't tempt god don't tempt god with your faithlessness don't tempt god with your doubt don't tempt god in in the in your hypothetical questions and hypothetical reasonings what it says is what it means whether you like it or not what the word of god says is what it means worry not worry not doubt not fear not waver not so jesus answers them flat out from the word of god and the word of god can't be denied and these even these lying deceiving spies knew this the pharisees knew this they know that 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 every time Jesus answers from from flat out scripture you you can't deny it what God says is what God says, and there's no way around it. You could say, "Well, well, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I think I feel I believe well, you're just a lying deceiver, false prophet, no, I ought to ignore you." You know what you're talking about you're a fool and you deceive yourself you're destitute of the truth as the bible says mark and avoid those individuals those who say well i think i believe i feel my experience my interpretation that's a lying prophet ignore them that's a lying deceiving false preacher ignore them now we see jesus says in verse 25 render therefore unto caesar the things which are caesar's and unto god the things that which be gods and they could not take hold of his words they couldn't trip him up in his words why because he spoke the word of god as he spoke the word of god and they marveled at his answer and held their peace they marveled at his answer and held their peace When you you just keep quoting back the Word of God, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? In In context of Scripture. Scripture is Scripture, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, line upon line, precept upon precept. What does the Word of God say? They held their peace. They held their peace. And there are many who walk, even now, who walk are enemies of the cross. As Scripture says. The cross of Christ. The word of God. The truth of the gospel. There are many that oppose us. Try to twist it, manipulate it, and change it around. Make it something else other than what it flat out says. You ignore those people. The, the, the word of God, the faith of Christ is simple. You keep it simple. What it says is what it means. It's not based upon traditionalism and religiosity. Now, people try To change the context into politics. When we're preaching the gospel and talking about the word of God. They try to bring in politics and other other things. They'll try to disrupt the study. Like the people are doing in the comments here in this video right now. They're, They're trying to distract and disrupt. And bring in politics and arguments of other things. Because they don't like what the Bible says. And they're trying to say something else. You ignore these people. You ignore the goats, the wolves, and the rats. You ignore those that try to disrupt the, the, the simplicity of the faith. The false prophets and the false preachers and the false teachers were to mark and avoid. Now, to mark them. Now, how, what does it mean to mark them? Is to be able to, to, to identify clearly that this is what they are because they have contradicted the word of God here, here, and here because they're ignoring what the what the scriptures flat out say here here and here and you help help warn others what does the bible say what does the word of god say and as jesus proved and showed by example and setting precedent is you you under no obligation to have to answer those that try to disrupt the teaching and bring in false teaching and all you do is state what does the bible flat out say and to this individual, Israel belongs to Israel. Israel belongs to the Jews. So, what does the word of God say? Verse 27, then came to him certain of the Sadducees. The Sadducees came in. And they they tried to trip Jesus up. Now, the Sadducees are even, even more of a corrupted, twisted cult. Which, honestly, I've actually asked the question before. I'm at a loss for an answer on how the Sadducees were even allowed to be a thing. I don't understand this. And I, I, I if someone could actually explain to me, how were the Sadducees allowed to even be a thing? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you see, there's the Pharisees who believed, uh, professed that they believed in the law and the prophets. They believed in the scriptures and in Moses, and and they believed in the resurrection and angels and all this kind of stuff. But the Sadducees were a cult. They denied the scriptures. The Sadducees did not believe in the reality of angels. They did not believe in the reality of the resurrection. They denied much of of the scriptures. They denied it and didn't believe it. Now, to, to me, that's, that's just absolutely puzzling. It's very puzzling. Because um, in, in Israel, if you contradicted, denied, and opposed the scriptures, you were stoned. You were put to death. You, you were denied access to the temple. How are the Sadducees allowed in? How how are they allowed to even have a position of of rule and instruction and teaching to even teach other people to deny the scriptures? And what are the Sadducees today? Today, who are the Sadducees? Well, they're they're part of the Judaizers and the law-keeping cult but to me uh, today what well, i throw in the same categories of sadducees are the crazy so-called professed christians who deny the apostle paul the there's a a crazy cult out there a, a cult mentality of individuals who call themselves christians but they believe the apostle paul was not an apostle of jesus christ and we are we do not have to obey or listen to the pauline epistles that the letters that paul wrote are lies and are not actually scripture yeah those people are insane and certifiable and they're just like the sadducees who denied the reality of angels and denied the reality of the resurrection now there came to him a, a sect of the sadducees which denied that there is any resurrection and they brought up a hypothetical question Just like what I was talking about. They brought up a hypothetical question, hypothetical scenario to try to trip up Jesus and corrupt the teaching of Scripture. Look at this. Now, what was their question? The Sadducees come in who deny the resurrection. Verse 28 saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if any man's brother die having a wife and he die without children that his brother should take his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. There were therefore seven brethren. And the first took a wife, and died without children. The second took her to wife, and died childless. And the third took her, and in like manner the seven also. And they left no children, and they all died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. There are even people today uh, so-called christians professed christians who actually even deny the rapture they deny that the rapture is a thing They say there is no rapture uh, they're no different than the sadducees okay but we see a hypothetical scenario that they've 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 managed to scheme up fabricate a supposed trump card to try to refute the teaching of the resurrection but what does the bible say that there is a resurrection When does the resurrection happen? Well, it happens before the wrath of God pours out, is what the Bible flat out says. And to deny that shows ignorance of the scriptures. What does the Bible say about the the rapture, about the resurrection? Um, Well, is there marriage in heaven? Or what's going on? What does the Lord say? Verse 34. So they bring up this stupid twisted corrupted hypothetical uh, question to try to trip up the scriptures to try to trip up jesus what does jesus say it is written it is written it is written do not do not do not do not try to answer questions by your own wisdom by your own intellect with your own words just what does the bible say there is an answer to absolutely every single thing you could ever wonder about there is an answer There's an answer for everything, about anything. There is a precedent. There is a teaching. There is an instruction. There is wisdom in the Word of God for any kind of thing that you could bring up. There is an answer to it in the Word of God. The Word of God is infinite because it came from our infinite God. It came from the infinite mind of God. It's of the infinite wisdom and knowledge of God. His Word is above His very name, it says. So there is an answer to everything in the Word of God. But what about. What about marriage and the resurrection? Verse 34. Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world, and the world to come, the afterlife, they that which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore, for they, for they are equal unto the angels. Meaning, like, spirit beings, like the angels. See, look what Jesus even says. Because the Sadducees deny the resurrection and deny the reality of angels, what does Jesus say to, re, to refute the Sadducees? There is a resurrection and there are angels look at this just flat out just re- rebut him right back no this is what it says you know what you're talking about. you don't know what you're talking about neither can they die anymore for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of god being the children of the resurrection now that the dead are raised even moses showed at the bush when he called the the lord the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob how did jesus prove there's there, there is life after death because the Sadducees didn't believe there's life after death. They believed that this is all there is and you're dead and gone. How did Jesus prove this? By looking at what the scriptures call God. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. Okay, yeah, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what, how does that prove it? If you look at the actual Greek and Hebrew in the scriptures here, when it, when it gives the names of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you'll note something very curiously interesting. That the very language in the Greek and Hebrew, in, in that title of God, is present tense. Signifying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Look at Jesus says, verse 13, For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. He's the God of Abraham, who is alive. Isaac and Jacob, who are alive. He's the God of Elijah and Daniel and Moses. And to us, he's the God of Peter, James and John and Paul, Mary and Martha. He's the God of the living. They're still alive. They're still alive. They're not dead. For for all those who believe in me shall never die. Jesus says, "We have everlasting life. We will continue to live on. That, that it, this flesh is just a, is just a suit that wears out, and you, which is you, continues on. You see that? He is not a god of the dead, but of the living. For all live in Him, and and that's something. Just think of this: He's the God of the living. That they are alive. They're so alive, and we we will never die you will never die your consciousness your being the you which is you will continue on that these eyes of flesh close and immediately your eyes are open somewhere else and you and you continue on you will never die as in dead gone that's it it's over you'll never die you'll be with the lord forever is the god of the living and the sadducees couldn't answer this because what did jesus say what how did he respond he quoted scripture it is written thus saith the lord it is written it is written it is written he rebuked and refuted the, the sadducees by saying look this is what scripture says and you're opposing scripture pharisees this is what scripture says and you're opposing scripture You call yourself masters and leaders and teachers and preachers, but you don't know what you're talking about. You're destitute of the truth and you're ignorant of the Word of God. What it says is what it means. And the vast majority of of professed Christians today need to get this through their thick heads that what it says is what it means. When it says you are saved by grace, that means you're saved by grace and not by law. Woe unto you that think that you're justified by the law. For you're dead to do all the law and you're guilty of all the law. You're not saved by law. If there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Read Galatians. It's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. Well, James says, faith that works is dead. So that means you're saved by works. You're denying Paul. You see this, what it says, what it means. Study it out. Do the work. Do the study the words, the meanings of the words. Study the, the, all Scripture, pairing all Scripture with all Scripture. Don't take a single verse or part of a verse and try to build doctrine on it. You take all Scripture together. What it says, what it means. And Jesus showing us by example is you answer questions with Scripture, and if they if they can't accept that, walk away. You're under no obligation whatsoever to have to answer the haters, the deniers, the the hypocrites, and the hypotheticals, and and all the trolls. You're under no obligation to have to answer them. What Scripture says is sufficient. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. And even them, and even all the deniers and the haters, all them, they will see and know that you know what you're talking about. They can't get you. Let's say that that is well said. They can't trip you up. You will never lose an argument when you just stick with Scripture. Oh, they can try to make it look like you lost and make it look like you know what you're talking about. Make it look like a, you're an idiot or a fool or something like that. By their trickery and their hypotheticals and their twistings of phrases and stuff. Oh, but, but as long as you just quote Scripture, what it says, what it means. What it says, what it says, you just keep quoting scripture you'll never lose you're never wrong quoting scripture, and after that durst not at the the sorry, and after that they durst not ask him any questions at all, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the spies, and all of them they gave up they gave up, and eventually that that's what will happen is Individuals that come and oppose you, they'll they'll give up. They'll quit. Because they realize they can't get anywhere with you. That They, they can't rile you. They can't rile you. They can't make you doubt. They can't make you question the, the faith. You just keep quoting the word of God back at them. No matter what they say, you just say, look, it is written, it is written. And after that, they darest not ask him any question at all. Verse 41, the Jesus then turns back back to the crowd and he asks them an interesting question. You see, Jesus likes to get us to think. Unlike, for example, Islam, where in, in Islam they're taught from their false Quran that, that, that they're not allowed to ask questions. You're not allowed to ask questions. You just believe what you're told, don't ask questions. Don't ever ask questions. You just... just just believe what you're told don't ask questions actually according to the word of god we're supposed to ask questions search it out do the study yourself ask questions ask lots of questions question everything in respect of the word. Is, is if you hear you hear something read from the word of God. Ask questions about it. Now try to understand it. Is really mull it around. It's called chewing the fat. As you chew it and chew it. And you mull on. You meditate on. And you try to figure it out. Where else in the word of God does it talk about this? What does this mean? Do all the study. We're told to ask questions. Jesus even did that here. In asking a question to get the people to think. Because he literally just equated himself to the heir the son of god in front of the pharisees in front of the crowd jesus literally just called himself the son of god and so he wants to get the people to think about this one for a moment and in verse 41 and he said unto them how say they that christ is david's son you know son of david we even uh previously and i think it was uh uh luke 18 i think it was uh, where the blind man says, says As Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People knew that Jesus was of the offspring of the bloodline of David. Uh, they knew this. Even the Pharisees knew this. And this was yet another pin in the proof of who Jesus was, that they knew who he was. So Jesus asked a question. And how, how say they that Christ, now what is the Christ, what, what what's the Christ? The Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the prophesied one, the one of the prophets that, would, that uh, told us to come, the spirit of God that would come down, the Messiah Christ. How say they that Christ is David's son? Okay, because David, king of Israel, the, the great uh, war king, man of war, the great mighty king David that established the empire of Israel. and now how say they that christ is david's son if 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 christ is the spirit of god the prophesied christ messiah that will come why is he called son of david how does that work as david himself saith in the book of the psalms the lord said unto my lord sit thou on my right hand till thine enemies shall be made thy footstool now how, how does this work how is christ son of david think about this how is christ son of david What is this signifying? Well, if it's just Christ, that is the spirit of God. That's the prophet's spirit of God that come down. But no man has seen God at any time and lived. And God is spirit, and those that worship Him worship Him in spirit and in truth. We can't see the spirit of God in this world. We can't see the spirit of God. That God always has a veil covering when this when the the spirit of god came down before moses he used the the burning bush as the veil covering you see the 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 pillar of cloud the pillar of fire the shekinah glory cloud there's always a veil covering to cover the spirit of god that we can't see so so how can christ be called son of david that shows then that out of the line of David, of the bloodline of David, one is born that will be the Christ manifested in the flesh. That, 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 the, that the Messiah will be offspring, son of David, and Lord of David. That's Philippians 2, 5-8. to where he was found in fashion as a man, that the, that the Spirit of Christ came down and fashioned a body for himself. And he, and he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. Spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. So God fashioned a body for himself that could. We see John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14, the word which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. 1 Timothy 3, 16, God was manifested in the flesh. So you see, even this very question that Jesus asked the people, how is Christ called the son of David? When you think about this then, you see, well, well, the spirit of God is not of the line of David, is not the offspring of David. Because uh, David is flesh and that which is of, of the blood is flesh. So something has to come from the line of David to be able to be called the Christ That is both Son of David and Lord of David. So even this very question gets the people, the crowd, to think of this. To show how the Christ will be both spirit and flesh. Son of God, God the Son. God the Son, Son of God. The God-man. The Christ Messiah will be 100% man and 100% God. That's what that question of Jesus is proves think about that then in the audience of all the people he said unto his disciples then jesus turns from the crowd to his disciples to instruct his disciples but he says in audience of meaning he said to spoke to his disciples loudly so that all the people could hear jesus says beware of the scribes beware of the scribes now what are the scribes today The scribes today are individuals who tout their degrees and diplomas and their schooling and and all all of their their big fancy titles, their their notoriety and their fame and their fortune and their positions, their wealth and their power as, as, as theologians and doctors and masters of the law and all that kind of stuff. Those are the scribes. Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the, and the high seats in the synagogues. They, they have to be up on the stage and they always want to be addressed by their titles and their degrees. They wear the big fancy robes to set themselves apart as high clergy kind of thing the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at seats, which devour widows' houses. Who uh, uh, This is, they take over, and, and they make it about fame and fortune, and they, st- and they start uh, getting the people to give them all of their money and possessions and wealth and power and property, like prosperity preachers, like Benny Hinn and Cruffle Dollar, which devour widows' houses, and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. And the reason they make these big fancy flowery prayers is just to impress you not because they care about god but to impress you they'll receive greater damnation jesus addressing the pharisees and the sadducees and 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 the scribes and all these and the spies in front of all the people calling them out exposing the wolves warning the people now In this we see greater damnation. What does he mean by that? Harsher judgment at the great white throne judgment seat of Christ. Harsher judgment. Because they knew full well, as Jesus called them out, you know full well who I am. They know full well what they're doing. That these kinds of individuals, the Pharisees, the Judaizers, the law keepers, the scribes, and the Sadducees, and all these kinds of false prophets and false preachers, they know full well what the Bible says. They know full well who Jesus is, and they don't care. And they twist it all up for their own power and position. They're going to receive a harsher judgment. Greater damnation. There will be more wrath of God poured upon them than others. These same individuals are spoken of again in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, because these same individuals, these same twisting, hypothetical, lying, deceiving, legalistic Pharisee types, it's all about traditionalism, religiosity, and churchianity. These same individuals are the ones in Matthew 7 verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Because look what they're doing. Look what they say. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Have we not done many works, and righteous works, and religiosity, and mysticisms? We've done and done and done and done and done and said and done. But nowhere do they say, have we not believed in thy name? Because they, they twisted Jesus to fit the Jesus of their imagination they've created an image of their own mind they they've fashioned a god of their own imagination romans 1 18 25. they they suppress the truth and unrighteousness and they change the glory of god into a corruptible thing of their own imagination and they preach their own god and not the god of the bible their own jesus not the jesus of the bible a jesus that limited his atonement at the cross a jesus that 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 is not that, that is not so loving of all the world. A Jesus Jesus that doesn't care and only saves a special select chosen elect. A Jesus that requires your law-keeping. A Jesus that requires your baptism. A Jesus that requires you to do and keep and maintain and all this other stuff. That's, that's not the God and Jesus of the Bible. A Jesus that died on the cross so you could get a new Mercedes. A gospel that's all about uh, acquiring wealth and power and fame of this world to build an empire of this world. A God that wants you to conquer empires and try to wage war and anarchy to try to achieve a kingdom of this world. Like the seven mountain mandate thing. That's not the God of the Bible. A God that's all about commandment keeping and law keeping is not the God of the Bible. What does Scripture say? There are many, many Pharisees, Sadducees, and law keepers today. There are many deceiving, lying false prophets who preach other Gospels, other Christs, other gods. And they, and they try to manipulate the Word of God to try to to try to, uh, justify the crazy ideologies of their own mind. How does Jesus react to that? How did He answer them? Flat out Scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. It is written. And any doctrine, teaching, or ideology that contradicts the Word of God even remotely is then false. The Word of God is true. Any doctrine, teaching, ideology, vision, dream, whatever, opinion, feeling, whatever, that contradicts the Word of God even remotely is wrong. And the Word of God is true. You don't need catechisms, commentaries, councils, or creeds. You need the Word of God. And if you don't know the Word of God, if you're not studying the Scriptures, it's guaranteed, 100% guaranteed, you will be deceived by a false prophet. Every, every time. When you're not studying the Word of God, you will be deceived by false teachers. You will be deceived by these kinds of lying, manipulative, hypothetical, twisting, liar, deceivers. You you will be deceived by them. What does scriptures say? Who is Jesus Christ? According to the Word of God. What is salvation? According to the Word of God. According to the Bible, what is it? The moment you hear the preacher in the pulpit, the moment you hear them say, well, I think, I feel, I believe, my study, my belief, my opinion, my vision, my dream, they're a liar. Run. Get away from them. What does the Bible say? Anyone who says that, you see the Bible says this, but but however, I think, you know, get away from them. What it says, what it means the words on the very page have meaning like for example i keep coming back to to the example of grace some of people say oh yeah we're saved by grace but you got to keep the 10 commandments then you don't believe in grace according to the word of god it's like those who say well 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 jesus did not atone for for all people of the world he only atoned for the, for the special select chosen elect okay The word world when you look at the very meaning of the word in scripture when it says world it does not mean a special select chosen elect it means world of planet earth of everyone in it because he's not willing that any should perish of the elect it doesn't say that you're adding to the word of god and you're changing the very meanings of the words It says world. It means world. It says earth means earth. Whosoever means whosoever. You're literally changing the very meanings of the words. You're changing the very meaning of grace. You're changing the very meaning of atonement. You're changing the very gospel. You're changing the very person of Christ. Denying the rapture. When the Bible teaches there is a rapture. Well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. The word rapture is the title term that is given to the, the gathering of the saints where we are caught up to be with christ we see for example in john john chapter 5 where the resurrection is the gathering the resurrection is the raptured, raptured taken up Resurrected, taken up the gathering, taken up to be with the Lord. We see this in uh, and Matt, uh, John, chapter five, verses twenty twenty nine. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Where all will be taken up and judged before God, and those whose names are not found written are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, because they've been resurrected too bodily. The bodily resurrection of the saints and the bodily resurrection of the unsaved, and that's why they stand before before God bodily and be thrown in the lake of fire, and they will die again. That's why it's called the second death. So you see, when does when does uh, when does the rapture of the saints occur? Uh, uh, around the time we see the end of days. You see, it's called pre wrath that the word of god teaches you look at second thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 well no i think it happens but another time it's after all this you're deliberately contradicting second thessalonians 2 1 to 4 you're literally saying paul is wrong you're literally saying that passage in second thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 is not true you're that's what you're saying when you deny that passage it's it's uh, the word of God is either all true or none of it at all. It's all true or none at all. You can't cherry pick. Say, well, well, I believe this, but I don't believe in the in the in the creation account in the first few chapters of Genesis. I I, I don't believe that exactly. I think we evolved from monkeys. Your God is a liar. Your God is not the God of the Bible. The the scripture is either all true or none of it at all. There's no middle ground. You say, well, you're being crazy. No, you're being too strictly legalistic. You do not believe the Bible. You're calling God a liar. You're literally looking into the eyes of God and saying, God, I do not believe you when you said this part in the Bible. You can try to to snide that and you know brush that off and ignore that but that's literally what you're doing when you choose to not believe the scriptures flat out what it says about such and such a thing anywhere in the word of god when you deny it when you make excuses for it you try to bring up hypotheticals to prove it wrong when you will not accept it flat out for what it says you're calling god a liar and denying the very scriptures and the god you're then believing a god of your own imagination and not the god of the word of god that's what Jesus is getting across in Luke chapter 20. Luke 20. There you go. Any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all? Please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. I'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, if there's anything you're wondering about, uh, if you've got questions, thoughts, comments, uh, topics, things you'd like to talk about, please go ahead, ask away. I'd be uh, glad to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you. Um yeah and it's so interesting just just like i said we see it so often or going across certain topics and things people come into the comments literally literally being a live example of just what we're talking about (laughs) it's crazy uh quite often though it happens when we're doing talks on spiritual warfare when we talk about spiritual warfare all crazy things happen all kinds of insane people when we go into full debates at uh, discussions on the deity of jesus christ get all kinds of crazy people coming in trying to deny it when we're we're really emphasizing on the doctrine of grace we get all kinds of people coming in to deny it. it it's insane so anyways so there you go so any thoughts comments questions issues insights please i'm glad to hear from you we got a bunch of time here that uh, we can go go on and uh, talk about uh we've gone for an hour 54 keep that in mind um so yeah so we see jesus has so much to talk about and there's so much more we kind of just skimmed across the surface of this passage um like taking a stone and just skipping it across the surface not really diving so much into the depths of it um but What does the Bible say? Now, we see when it talks about doctrine and theology, when it talks about marking and avoiding, we got to know what this says. And it's not my doctrines. I don't have my doctrines, and you have your doctrines. There's only two sets of doctrines there's the doctrines of god or the doctrines of the devil there's only two only two sets it's not my opinions europeans opinions, my truth your truth my interpretation your interpretation that that's not a thing as we see in the word of god is second peter um, chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men but holy men of god spake as they are moved by the holy ghost It all came from God. What it says is what it means. So it's either you believe what God says or you don't. That's all it is. The Lord says, look, this is what I say on this thing. And you say either, yes, Lord, or no, I don't believe it. And you try to make excuses. You try to find loopholes. You try to circumvent. You try to create hypotheticals. And that's all that Jesus is damning. In Luke 20. He's damning all of that. He's exposing uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, showing the people this is what they do. Don't do that. Don't do that. What it says, is what it means. It is written, it is written, thus saith the Lord. So um, it can be hard sometimes because we know that when we stand adamantly dogmatically on the scriptures like this, it's going to offend a lot of people. Well, Jesus says, doth this offend you? Doth this offend you? If the word of God triggers you, if doctrine and theology triggers, upsets you and angers you, or if it does someone else, that just proves right there they have not a heart that loves the things of God. They love their own mind. They love their own opinions and they love not God. They have not the love of God in them. If standing adamantly on the word of God causes people to get all worked up That's their problem, not yours. Don't you ever apologize for standing on the Word of God. Don't you ever apologize for being adamant on doctrine, adamant on the truth of Scripture. Don't ever make excuses for obeying the Lord adamantly. Be proud for standing with the Lord. This is what it says. This is what it means. If you don't accept it, you're wrong. You're wrong. You don't have to be snide and arrogant about that. Don't be snide and arrogant. About it. Don't ever be. Just say, look, no, I'm sorry. You're wrong. The Bible says this. Well, how could you say it? you're being too legalistic and this and that and judgmental and who do you think you are? You're wrong. Because the Bible says this. Like, for example, for example, um, years ago, uh, there is. I was at a a big conference, and there there was an individual there that I was I was talking to, and uh, after after this after the sermon, because this guy was up on stage and he was preaching the gospel, but he was talking about how Jesus was crucified through the wrist, and he really emphasized this: Jesus was crucified through the wrist. Now. Is that a little thing? Or is it a big thing? That's well, up to you. But specifics of scripture are important. And the Bible says they pierced my hands and my feet. Is what it says. It doesn't say wrist. Well, you know, back then, you know, they, they included the wrist as part of the hand. All kinds of other stupid arguments. But when you look at the Greek and the Hebrew... On when it talks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, how the the pierces hands and his feet, the word "hands" in the Greek is "chiro," meaning the part that grips. That's the the fleshy part of the hand, right there. Well, if you put a nail through there, it would just tear out. So you're trying to find a way to excuse that this is. What happen um actually no it wouldn't tear out that's that's a lie that's a myth let alone let alone that when they're crucifying you they would also lash your arm on the cross because the point is they want you to suffer for as long as humanly possible there be people crucified, nailed to a cross up there for a week, a solid week, or even more. The point is, is they want you to be a living torture example of what will happen if someone goes against the Romans. So they, they would nail the hands and then lash the arms so that you're stuck up there and you can't move. It says hands. It means hands. It's hands, not wrist. It's not bicep, elbow, forearm, wrist. It's hands. It's what it says. Anyways, I went up to the guy afterwards and I just asked him very calmly. I just said, you you said a bunch of times when you were preaching there about how Jesus was crucified through the wrist. I was saying it just like this. You said Jesus crucified through the wrist. Um, I was just wondering how you you figured that. Because as I always thought, and I've been taught that, you know, in the scriptures talks about crucified through the hands... That means chiro part that grips you know the hands here. And I'm in the middle of talking about this, saying it like that, he blows up, starts screaming at me in front of everybody, screaming at me. who do you think you are? and it starts starts mocking me and putting me down and calling me ignorant and all the rest of it in front of everybody. you know, uh, a few years ago. I hadn't seen that guy for years and years and years. Um, And I found out a few years ago that actually he was up on stage in his church. And it was reported that he was preaching on the gospel. And he was preaching how Jesus is crucified through the hand. Not the wrist. He had gone and actually studied it out. And uh, and he started preaching that Jesus crucified through the hands, not the wrist. And so you see, you, you don't have to be arrogant about it. Just put it, put it forward. And the seed of the Word of God and the conviction of the Spirit of God will come upon them. And they will either listen and look into it or they won't. And it's not up to us. We are not the convictors. We are not the convictors. What it says, you just state what it says. And if they won't accept what it says, walk away. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 10. Is it John 10? All right, Jesus talks about, about brushing up the dust of your feet at them if they will not if they will not receive you nor listen to your words. If they, if they don't listen to you, if they won't listen to you, walk away. Mark and avoid, walk away. Warn other people against them, walk away. That's all it is. You you don't fight, you don't be belligerent back, render not evil for evil. This is just what does the Bible say? Okay. Now, um uh in the comments here Jen, thank you for the study hey god bless cliff says question i believe in the trinity however can you explain if jesus is always flesh when as people always ask me this i'm not sure how to answer can you see my comments yes yes um okay you're coming um all right i actually have an entire study uh video dedicated to to directly answering that question it it's uh there's a whole bunch of info that goes into this um if you don't mind i'll I'll just i'm just going to just pass this over to uh, just point you out to my previous video i did on this go to my playlist according to the bible under the playlist according to the bible click that scroll down in the in the list you'll see one video uh, according to the bible what is the biblical godhead the title card it's a brown title card it has the word god look, look, look for that one according to the bible what is the biblical godhead watch that video that i did i go into great great detail explaining uh the biblical godhead using scripture alone uh the video was even uh peer reviewed by uh dr uh Igal german of moody bible institute and he he, he thought it was right on as well so i even have that in there in the description about this as, as many people want to try to refute it just just listen i'm only using scripture i only use scripture and i show you what what the bible says about this um modalism sabellianism is completely completely wrong modalism is unbiblical nonsense civilianism is unbiblical nonsense as well as the catholic idea of the godhead is complete nonsense as well and i show you what does the bible flat out say so please go watch that video um they go into great detail explaining that one according to the bible what is the biblical godhead go watch that video and i I hope that helps and if you have any questions after that let me know i'd be happy to address them it's just because it'll take a long time there's a lot of information in this um and there's a lot of scripture that goes into this so i hope that you'll enjoy that video um so with that um we've been going for two hours four minutes I i'm gonna wrap that up there i think that's good again folks we're trying to get through the gospel of luke here before we get to the holiday so i'll be back again tomorrow normally i'm off tomorrow but i'll be back again tomorrow as we're going to do chapter 21 well i want to try to finish up this uh this uh gospel of luke before the holidays so i'm sure you don't mind so be praying and uh hope to see you again tomorrow lord willing and and there we go i guess we'll wrap up there so please give us a like as a thumbs up make sure you subscribe hit notification bell icon so we put up new videos and check out all our other videos we got tons of tons of other uh videos on their topics and doctrines and debates and uh, we've got tons of playlists and different stuff please make sure you check those out as well as check out our website christiancoffeetime.ca we've got links to all our other platforms and other goodies and such make sure you check that out as well and as well folks merry christmas have a good one and be safe and uh hope to see you again and god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.